Hello, everyone. This is a live episode of, of Contingent Workforce Radio. It's a podcast where we interview in Contingent Workforce program leads from various companies. We've had guests from organizations such as Thomson Reuters, Workday, Facebook on before. And if you want to listen to any of the past ones, I'm going to drop in the link to the podcast. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. So dropping that link in now. And today we have another great guest, Jessica from Airbnb. We're just going to be discussing how you can get visibility of your global freelance workforce. But I'm going to pass it over to Erica. If you have any questions during the show, please feel free to use the Q&A button down here and drop in a question and we'll do our best to answer it. But for now, I'm going to pass it over to Erica and hope you all enjoy. Excellent. Hey everyone, thanks so much. It's Erica Novak here, Head of Client Services for Utmost, but really Contingent Workforce Practitioner for Life. has been in this industry for about 15 years. And again, really excited to introduce you guys to Jessica Donsky from Airbnb. So Jessica, why don't you give a quick introduction and we'll jump in. Sure. Hey everybody. I'm Jessica. I also go by Donsky, if you've known me in my previous life or my current life today. I uh, currently work at Airbnb uh, as the leader of our contingent workforce program, inclusive of our freelance talent. I live in Austin, Texas, which is pretty new. I'm from the Bay Area. And yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Excellent. And I'm, I'm thrilled to chat with you today about freelancers. I mean, when I think about Airbnb's culture, you guys have an excellent reputation. So a couple of your tenets, champion the mission, simplify, every frame matters, which I love, and embrace the adventure, just to name a few. And you've also spoken about just how much your team cares about people as humans, not just vendors, not just CWs, they're people and your talent. And when I think about over the past couple of years with freelancers in the gig economy has gotten so much press coverage over the past really two or four years. And yet, even as the data continues to show that there's movements towards this work preferences, a lot of enterprises or large companies still found it difficult to adopt this usage at a programmatic letter. And it's still difficult to even understand how much their team's actually using them. They don't have great visibility. And so it makes me smile to think a little bit about how Airbnb culture kind of plays into the story of how, how your team has actually undergone this project. And so let's jump in. Tell me a little bit about how you started the freelancer journey and what was that initial problem you were trying to solve? Yeah, sure. So this journey has been, so I've been at Airbnb for three years um, and this journey began probably the moment I walked in the door uh, where I started to unpack what is contingent workforce to Airbnb, right? It's different at every company that I've worked at. How do we define it? What type of workers play in what type of roles? And I had never worked at a company that had a pretty much freelancers and be the significant amount of freelancers that we had at the time. And so, you know, I started to get curious around, well, are freelancers part of the contingent workforce umbrella? And at the time we didn't have a policy. It was, I mean, it was pretty brand new. So kind of built the program three years ago. And over the course of the last few years, primarily the last year and a half or so, we started to really understand the issue of our incumbent vendor playing a role with us in our freelance journey. Meaning we didn't know how many freelancers we had in a given day. We didn't have great visibility to spend. Yet these individuals play a very impactful role to our business. So for any of you who have stayed at an Airbnb, which I imagine a vast majority of you have, it's kind of hard to avoid and a great product. Uh, a lot of times the, the imagery you see when you go to airbnb.com, that's done by freelance talent. Or if you're staying at a luxury home, if you're privileged enough to stay in a luxury home, I haven't yet. Those homes are inspected by freelancers. And so the value proposition there of how we deliver our product was there was a great reliance on freelancers. And so the problem was just that. What are freelancers? How much do they cost us? And what are we doing? And what's the compliance component? And contractually, I mean, just everything you think about when you think about managing the agency temp consultant world, we didn't have for freelancers. So that's that's initially how we identified the problem. And there were some things along the way that helped us kind of nail that and be able to kind of jump into this journey of actually creating a program that we have now. And let's do this knowing that our listeners range from they've just started to very seasoned or so. When you talk about freelancers, yeah. how does your team define the difference between a freelancer and a temporary worker, just so they put them in the right bucket? Yeah, sure. Yes, buckets are... I mean, if you're in the contingent space or you're in the position of, of, you know, if you're inside and you're in someone like my role, buckets are like your world, right? Like, well, what is a temp and what is a freelancer and what's a consultant? And it's so critical that you're crisp 
and you're, 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 you offer context and use cases. At Airbnb, which is, you know, again, different by every company I've worked at, there's different from everything else, be it by the name. Free is the component. So they have zero access to our facilities or our offices, which we don't have access to today anyway. And they don't have a laptop or, or an email address. They operate with usage of their own equipment. So we think about freelancers at Airbnb, we have two buckets of freelancers. We have our creative, which is kind of what I reference when you go to airbnb.com. Or if you're a host, so you know you may be a host that you're listening in on this, you have the opportunity to tap into professional photography, meaning you can have a photographer come to your home and take really awesome photos and make your listing more attractive. You don't really want to take a, a photo of your, your house with like your cell phone, even though those are great pictures, it just looks kind of like a Craigslist ad, right? So freelancers, while they have zero access to our facilities and our equipment and email, they have a lot of access to our hosts and our guests and our communities. And a lot of times they're the face of Airbnb. So it's really important that we treat them as to Erica's point, like they're humans. And we, and I'll ta- I'll touch a little bit about that later on in the questions, but we care a lot about our freelance talent. Beautiful. And so kind of going back to defining, when you think about that freelancer, I love that you said like they're free or so. So when you're engaging them, sometimes what we'll talk about is when you're engaging a contractor versus a freelancer, contractors are more role-based. Typically they're hourly or by a unit, but they're more part of the team. When I hear you talk about these freelancer tenant, it's more about, hey, again, if there are photographers, they're here to take these pictures and then they're gone. So is it when you think about how you guys are looking at these, is it project-based? Is it more long-term? So talk a little bit more about, again, like how it differentiates from that contract. Yeah. Well, I think like most things in the contingent space, it's not always black and white, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of shade of gray. And I think our freelancers, they can kind of dabble in certain areas. So one would be use case wise, so your photographer example. So we'll have a photographer who is an amazing photographer and they're specific to a very specific region. So if you think about like Paris, for example, Paris has a lot of supply, a lot of Airbnbs. If you go to Paris and you, and you type in like a, which I did, I typed it in for June of next year, assuming like we're gonna all have the vaccines. I typed in Paris and you get like thousands of listings. We will have photographers that are segmented by listing or by house, you know, type condo versus house versus apartment. And that might be a a one-time job, or it might be something that we tap into every month. It really depends on the demand and the supply. And so, as I mentioned, it's not always black and white. It's a similar kind of effort with the second category of freelance talent that we have that as our inspectors. So as I mentioned, like you might stay at a home and before you stay there, the value prop is that someone went in and said, this home is exactly what it should be based off of the listing. So it's going to have, you know, marble countertops, if that's really important to you, or it's going to have a clawfoot bathtub, again, if that's important to you, or or very soft sheets. Now, those inspectors are similar to kind of how we operate with photographers, where it might be that we have an inspector that's in the Caribbean, like in St. Thomas, and they own that St. Thomas region, and they are responsible for inspections of those homes on a frequent or perhaps a kind of a, a per stay basis. So it really depends, Erica, but you know, the difference between freelancers and agency temps clarity wise or contractors, we call them agency temps. Again, it's different by company is that agency temps are doing work that is much more embedded into the corporate business of how we get work done. So, you know, they might be an extension of an employee. They might be filling in for an employee. They're going to have access to tools and systems and knowledge and information that freelancers just won't have access to, right? Very specific, crisp outcomes for freelancers versus agency temps where it's a lot looser and more of a a wider job description. Okay, no, I think that's a perfect delineation. And and again, I like that you reiterated that the definitions are still fuzzy and it's up to the company kind of define what this looks like and what this doesn't, exclusive of what maybe media says, right? So being aware of how you define it and what's important in that. All right, let's go back to what you are after. So you've made it really clear, like these freelancers are really pertinent to your guys' business. It's not a side, it's not just they're building a PowerPoint for you. They're actually part of the revenue generation and the trust that your company has or consumers like myself have when I go to Airbnb. Uh, So what were you after then? So you said, I don't have this visibility. I have a bunch of folks that are pertinent to the business. So therefore, what did you want to do? Well, we kind of... So what did we want to do is we kind of set forth, we, ha- we had a very tight timeline. And so, you know, when you have tight timelines, you kind of try to f- 
pick out what are some of the most critical things that you have to identify when you're building this program, when you're designing this program and who are you designing it for? Or is there a myriad of people? So we had to identify one, we needed to meet the requirements of the business or multiple businesses. So for example, the creative team. Creative at Airbnb is such a huge team with a lot of value. And you know, a lot of people externally will say Airbnb is a design team or a creative company. Because there's so much, you know, our CEO went to, you know, a a very specific college that was based on like creative and design. And it feels that way at Airbnb. And I love that. But we had to think about what was important to the business based off of A, they had a lot of very specific requirements based off of the incumbent vendor that we had. And so we had to kind of solidify some of those and then decide which ones were no longer going to move forward. That, that we, as a coming to be a public company, need to do things in a very systematic, very compliant way. We also needed to find what was important to folks like myself and legal and finance. When you think about like contingent workforce, right, our stakeholders, what's important to them and making sure we hear them. And we also find the trade-offs. So we were able to get some things, but not others. And so quality versus experience was incredibly important. So our managers, while this was an effort that had to get done, we still wanted them to adopt it. We still wanted them to feel like they were part of this journey. And so there was a lot of discussion with them about, you know, what are some of the pain points and how are we going to fix that with this current vendor that we're bringing on board and which ones are we not? And being incredibly transparent with them about what they were not going to get out of this, but maybe the trade-off would be better in the long term for them. And then the foundational versus the compliance, right? So back to that like programmatic ownership. So I care personally because I own this program end to end. I care a lot about making sure that it's that it's a well-oiled machine. I don't want to constantly get emails and calls that something's not right and so-and-so did something wrong or, you know, spend is off or reporting is off. Like I I don't want that. So we want to make sure that it's a well-oiled machine first and then start to build all the nice to haves after. So that foundational piece was really critical for me because I'm only one person, right? I can't manage their day to day. That's why we outsource this. So that's what we were after. No, and that's helpful because I think when I I think about other CW program owners or really the business, right? Uh A lot of people, there's two kind of thoughts. One is just let the managers figure it out. If they need this talent, let them do it. It's going to be specific to them, give them full ownership and then they'll do it. And then there's other thoughts of no, make it more macro, make it at a programmatic level. However, there's trade-offs, right? And then are you pushing or pulling something across the organization or so? And so can you speak a little bit more about that? Because what I think I heard you say is the businesses were already using them. This already was happening when you kind of came, came to Airbnb and came to say, okay, I need to figure out how to do this with more longevity and more forward thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, as I mentioned, kind of, this has been a journey for some time, but about a year and a half ago, it was really strange. I I had like a really, I, a lot of times I process my work in the middle of the night and I'll like think about it or wake up and think about it. And this actually happened. I was, we were going through some things with the incumbent vendor and it was really frustrating and we just were not going to get what we wanted long-term, right? Cause I'm thinking three to five years out, not thinking, what are we going to get next year? And so I woke up at 2am and I said, that's it. We're going to, we're going to go out to bed. Right. And that was the end of it. And subsequently, at the same time, our internal businesses said, yeah, you need to, because we're not going to support the incumbent vendor anymore. So it was kind of like a burning platform that we didn't have to burn anymore. But it was great that, that we myself came to the fruition without it being forced upon. But we hit this boiling point because, you know, the there's certain components of our incumbent vendor that were like just kind of this, are you kidding me kind of thing, right? Like, and so we were like, we need to build this program similarly to how we think about our MSP program, which is again, a lot of that quality and foundational and compliance and just scalability and all the various pieces to the pie that would help us sell this to our business. And like I said, I didn't really have to sell this, honestly. It was such an exciting moment when we shared that we were going to go out to bid and that we had actually found somebody and that we were going to go live, which took like a year and a half to go through all of that. Thank you to coronavirus. But once we got to the position where we were ready to do it, people were like, I had never launched a program where people were like, ugh, it was like, this is exciting. We cannot wait to have this. Um, And that really helped. But, you know, we're only five weeks in and of course there's bumps. And there's things that people are like, this is not helpful or, you know, this can be frustrating. And it's all about listening and hearing 
What is the root of the problem? Is it that you just don't have time to do this work or is it that the actual doing is difficult? And then from there, it's kind of just more of a therapeutic, like, let me help you through this because it's not going to change, right? So that's kind of how we went about going after the more macro level than ra- rather than letting the business kind of dictate this. And what did you find? So when you talk about the root cause, yeah. was, it, was it more focused on the visibility? Was it hard getting visibility to these workers? Or what was the root cause that, that did push you guys to that point? Yeah, I think it was, so it was a number of things. It was one that, you know, every, so every year, right. I'm doing like a year and look back and I always struggled because I would never be able to do a year end look back on our freelance talent. I mean, we, we have all this spend on the both sides, the, the, the MSP side and the, the freelance. And I see it in all the various purchase orders, but I was never able to pinpoint where was that spend coming from and what were the trends and what were the lessons learned and what were the learnings? And I couldn't do that. And it was, it was embarrassing. I couldn't put anything in front of our leadership and say, here's how much we're spending. And here's all the things that we should think about. I wasn't able to do that. And for me personally, like data is, is, is like a control component. If I can kind of own and see the data, I can kind of control what the narrative starts to look like. And I didn't have that. So it was a personal kind of venture for me as to kind of what the root problem was. And listening to that. No, and I think that's very common, especially when you know, we talk about freelancers being free from equipment, from office or whatnot. But what that does is you're exactly right. Usually they're free from being included in any data pickup, right? And yeah, I mean, the, the most visible human component to Airbnb are these individuals in some ways, like physically I'm seeing you. And while they're not wearing shirts that say Airbnb, they're not wearing hats that say Airbnb. It's just a regular person, right? Showing up to do their job. I can't even pinpoint at that time before we chose our current vendor, I couldn't pinpoint how many of those were actually taking place. So that was, I mean, data is everything. It's knowledge. And it's, if I didn't have it, that was like, all right, it's time to go. Right. No, I couldn't agree more. Cause I think there's some people who will think, well, if they don't have access, they're not a risk. If they don't have access, they probably don't matter. They're probably here for just a short point. And to your point, no, we generally managers in their mind know, I like this guy, guy or girl, whoever they're doing, and they'll use them again, but there's no visibility to this is great talent or even better. This is bad talent. Don't use them again. Right. right? And understanding how we're engaging them in what, at what point and how it matters. So I love that you said, it doesn't matter if they're free from the access. I still need to have the visibility because it, it matters to my business. Very much so. Yep. Just jumping in with a quick question, just to set some definitions. When we're talking about vendor, this is referring to the technology platform here rather than like a vendor as in a staffing agency, right? It's hard to say in, as far as what context of the... Incumbent vendor when you're referring oh, to... Oh, yes. So uh, that's right. An incumbent freelance vendor. Yeah. So we had an incumbent and now we have our new vendor. That answers the question. Perfect. Uh, let's talk a little bit about kind of solving for this in the solution, the new vendor that's a little bit different from temporary. So knowing that there's other CW technology solutions, how, when you were picking this vendor, how did you have to review the requirements or decide on the solution a little bit differently with the freelance mindset versus potentially a temporary worker mindset? Yeah. So I, I, this was a hard one for me because, you know, we're so, at least in my career in the history of my career, I've spent a lot of time in the MSP world. And so you're so, your brain is kind of built to think about MSPs and BMSs and all the things that come with it, right? And when I started to talk about with our current vendor and designing and thinking through some of the things that I think are pretty straightforward and simple, right? Like, you know, an accrual report. Even those types of things are completely, it's like, it's like a whole new language. And they you know, you'll find that the people, especially the ones that I work with at our current vendor who are amazing, they don't come from the MSP world. And so they don't, they don't know that space. And so I'm referencing things that are like, you know, what about this? And what about that? And they're like, "Mm, well, that, that's not really our world. And so, you know, the, the first thing was I had to kind of retrain my brain. And when I started to build those requirements, as far as designing, we need to think about, Uh, agility and we needed to think about our freelancers Mm -hmm. and ensuring that they had an awesome experience and that, you know, freelancers kind of touching on them specifically, as we kind of pointed out that we care a lot about them, especially since they're the ones out there in the field. They're the ones going to these homes. They're the ones meeting with our hosts. 
that, you know, in our incumbent situation, you know, our freelancers would have from time to time difficulty getting paid. And freelancers today, especially in this economy, are some of them, or if not most of them are living paycheck to paycheck. And so, you know, some of these things like inspections, you know, are, we're not talking thousands of dollars, we're talking hundreds, perhaps. And so to withhold payment from a freelancer over some sort of internal issue was what would keep me up at night. And we just, we just couldn't have that anymore. And, and like, things like that are so basic with the MSP world. Like you always pay these temporary workers, like regardless, right? I mean, that's the law. That's, you can't, as an employer to employee relationship, but that's not the way for freelancers. And so they are putting themselves at risk by doing that. And so we wanted to make sure that we would choose a vendor or that we would build processes that would meet those simple basic requirements that in my mind, I didn't even consider when I started designing. I'm like, well, yeah, they, don't they always get paid on time at least? And that wasn't always the case. So, you know, we, like I said, we, we just needed to really kind of switch things up a little bit and how we think about requirements. And that's what I would advocate for. So if you're thinking about bringing on a freelance management partnership is to kind of forget everything that you thought you knew and ask questions. You know, what are the things that I should care about when I'm going into this space? What are the top 10 things? And some of them might relate to the MSP world, but a lot of them don't. And so we can't assume that all these technologies with the freelance space are going to mirror exactly what VMSs look like. It's not the case. So you kind of have to start over. As well. And I like that you said it because even internally, I think, I mean, even working, you know, I think some programs will have an in, independent contractor compliance program or a small business, but because people are so, they're trying to find efficiencies. They think, okay, if they're vendors, we'll just drop on what we do for all of our professional services outsource. And you see payment terms be, 90 days or again amongst COVID you saw a lot of people saw COVID terms turn from 90 to 120 days and I love that you're saying like no these are individuals they're not going to wait four months to get paid 200 bucks and so to change the mindset of how we do things internally and yeah you're going to have some of these things you're going to have to start from scratch to say how do I make sure these individuals still want to work with us as a client of choice right they're the best photographer and they have the best customer facing I want them to stay and feel like they're moving faster but it goes back down to like worker centricity. How do I build for them? Not necessarily for just the operational arm inside of a big enterprise and being that advocate and say, no, we can't do it exactly the same. And, and here's why, but you have to have that voice to say, here's how it affects our talent. And here's why it can't be the same cookie cutter drop for a different classification. Right. Exactly. You say it so beautifully. I've been preaching, been talking. Oh, what else you had talked about, about key requirements, right? You had talked about what did, what global meant and you guys did business in a couple of different countries and how to be aware of what that meant for the different freelancers for countries. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, so what were some of the key requirements? So I think, you know, uh, global obviously is defined differently by certain countries. I mean, we do do business in China, which is, it was new for me coming into Airbnb. I and mean, I actually got to go to their Beijing office. I had never been to, to China or even the Asia Pacific space ever before. So that opened my eyes pretty significantly. And so when I thought about the scope and, you know, global had to include China and luckily our current vendor does support that. And that, that's great. Other requirements were, you know, from a, from a technology standpoint was, you know, the UI and UI for me, because for me personally matters a lot. And that adoption component, that ability to say it was easy for me to go in and do what I needed to do and get out. So I'm not going to, you know, a lot of times, you know, companies will say like, yeah, we want managers to go in there and, you know, play around and look at their dashboards. Like, no, they're not going to do that. They're not going to do that. I mean, we don't even do that in our own tools internally, right? We get in and we get out. And so that was really critical that, that when they got in, they could get out doing what they needed to do. And then, you know, some of the functional, the platform-based things that are kind of no-brainers, but were issues with, you know, our incumbent was like, you know, SSO. (laughs) Isn't everything SSO? No, some things are not SSO. This obviously had to be, you know, we needed, we needed APIs. I think every company is asking for more APIs. API with this, API with that. You know, we needed some confirmation that we could have some system systems at least speak to one another. If not now, then in a year from now. And getting that confirmation and getting that solid, I can't even speak today. It's like a long day. That confirmation and that ability to hear from our vendor 
that they were going to have the capability to do what we needed to do. Again, not maybe today in implementation phase one, but that commitment in phase two. And I think everything else was pretty kind of part of our design. And given that, you know, we have the majority of our freelance talent is in the creative space, you're having these creative folks go into a tool who, you know, they are top of the line producers and photographers and directors. So to put a tool in front of them and expect them to be like wowed by it was, I had to kind of, I had to have some moments to myself to say, that's not going to happen. So again, back to my point around, it has to be so easy that they didn't even have a moment to complain about it. Right. Ah, everyone's dream. Yeah, right. I mean, like every technology in all the contingent lands, right. (laughs) I mean, I don't even, I don't even go into some of my current vendors tools and do much in there. You know, a lot of times I'm just like, send me what I need to deliver or send me what I need to, to drive a program. So if even I am saying that can imagine a manager is going to want to do more than that, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And then those for our listeners, just in case you didn't get SSO is single sign on click of a button and authenticate (laughs) based, based on your kind of your company's security passwords or whatnot, but basically just push of a button to make that easy. Let's go back a little bit. Cause I liked how you talked about just changing your mindset, right? Moving around from potentially stale kind of contingent workforce program. This is what we always do or whatnot and moving it forward into different, different shifts. When we last talked, you, you spoke about the expectation of customer support from an MSP, from an FM, uh, FMS team. And then the level of vendor management, just the changes of from one to the other. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, I would say, and I, and I would say a lot of this is specific to our current vendor, which I won't name, right. And how they operate and how they, and how I kind of put the expectation on them to deliver. So for example, with regard to implementation, designing and declaring that end-to-end process, you know, the systems between a VMS and as I've mentioned, and an FMS are very different, very different. Even the style, even the tone, even the feel, I mean, it feels like I'm walking into 2021 in some of my, in this FMS tool, you know, that it's, it's, it's geared towards people as talent and not just people as bodies, right? Like people as humans, And so, and that doesn't, that's not me to say that our current, you know, VMS speaks that way, but, you know, in all 13 plus years of my experience, that's kind of what it feels like is that this FMS feels like a very personal system. And I would say that, you know, certain SOX compliance items, you know, we, we had to, as I've mentioned, like, it's a different framework. My assumptions of going in and having conversations about SOX compliance, which don't make me define Erica, are specific to, you know, as we go public are going to be regularly audited. And so you have to kind of help your, your current vendor understand that like, if they don't have that built, they don't understand that, then we got to take a step back. And, and in some cases we had to do that. We'd had to take one step back, two steps forward. And, and that was new to me because with our MSP, it was like, it was, everybody knew what that was. Right. And so it's just holding our FMS accountable. The level of customer service and the support, I would say that, you know, in my experience with MSPs in general, there's a lot of, I'm going to train you once and then I'm going to want you to do it on your own, right? With an FMS, there's a lot more hands-on. They want to learn your business. They want to understand what you're trying to accomplish. They want to be there to support you. I had never felt like that before. I had never seen that type of level of support. And it's really, really amazing because as we're five weeks in, I'm not getting feedback that's like, no one was here to help me or I didn't know how to do this. And they're not listening to my business. And it's actually just like, hey, I don't like going in and clicking a button. It's like, well, I'm sorry. Like you have to click a button right, Um, to approve something. But I wanted to kind of call that out because customer customer support or manager support is almost everything. You know, perception is reality in our worlds. And a lot of times we're fighting the good fight, even though the MSP or the FMS is like, we did our job. I don't know what they're talking about. Right. So that that's really critical for us. And then, you know, last but not least, the, the vendor management. So, you know, in my role or someone in my role internally at a company who's managing an MSP and might be also managing now an FMS, it's like having two children. And I already have two children. So now I have four children. And with an MSP, there's just a lot of standardization. You know, they've, they've been around the block. They've done this multiple times. They've worked with so-and-so. They've probably worked with you, Erica. They probably worked with me. They probably worked with so many different people. With an FMS, it's a lot more 
agile, that they, they don't have things technologically kind of baked out, but their mindset is, like I said, 2021 and beyond. So they're thinking about things before I'm even thinking about it. Or if I'm asking for a specific thing to kind of let's, can we think about diversity and belonging this way? And they're like, absolutely. We want to do that. We actually want to do that with you now. That type of mindset is so different than what I've experienced with an FM, with an MSP. And so that's just a call out for you, you know, whatever role you might, whatever role you might be in personally or professionally is that that was an awakening to me. You know, we don't need to do QBRs from our FMS. Like let's do things differently. What's another way we can get you this data to you and it be meaningful. It doesn't have to be this formal QBR, which I can't stand personally. So that was really refreshing as well. No, I think that's important too. Cause I think when I think about other program owners, you sometimes forget it's a newer industry. I think about the startups and gig economy alone, you know, there's over 50 of them that are starting and whatnot. And the nice thing is that a lot of them don't come from the staffing background. Some of them do Yeah. think about shortlist. Uh, it was a guy from LinkedIn or whatnot. So some have talent background and some don't, a lot of them just want to enable their friends. And so you are taking, and I don't want to say risk because it's not like, I think when you're working with new technology, it's, it's what you said, it's being aware that they're going to have different ideas of how to solve that may feel a little bit uncomfortable because you're used to what you'd kind of been doing for five or 10 years or what someone's told you is best practice. And the idea is best practice is supposed to change. They're supposed to push you forward, not just say, okay, you're fine based on whatever was created back in 2005, right? It's the idea of when you're working with a new solution and new teams who are trying to work with modern technology in new ways is you're going to have to be patient they're going to get there. Like you said, it's like, sometimes you're going to talk about cruel reporting. They look at you like just blind. What? Okay. Tell me what the requirements are. We're going to build it. We're going to put it into our release cycle, but you may not have it immediately, but you should be okay because you're getting other things that you weren't getting with other technology or manual spreadsheets. Right. So kind of eyes wide open of being, it's a change in your like exercising your muscle, but it's actually improving what you're trying to do with the overall program, knowing that you're right. You have two different kids. They, they need different love. <laughs> they have different expectations and you have to figure out a way kind of to balance that, right? Without saying, oh, this other kid is terrible. No, the other kid is just different, right? And can they balance each other out? Can they help each other? Maybe, maybe not, but not expecting one to be the other, right? That's, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't penalize one over the other. So, you know, I'll actually leverage all the good stuff that we get from our current MSP VMS and share it with, you know, our current FMS vendor. And they love it. They're like, this is amazing. We, we love this. And I give, you know, our, our MSP credit because like you said, the FMS world is, is new. It, I mean, it was new. Gosh, it was new like six, seven years ago. And even then I was like, nah, it's not going to be like, not gonna be a big deal. And here I am, I full on, you know, launched a program with it. I never thought I would. So, I mean, this stuff is all new to them and anything that we can do to kind of help them, given that, you know, they're a partner to us, I feel always obligated to do. No, I love that. And again, it's for pushing it forward, right? It's not just, we've all, again, anyone in this industry has recognized there's been a come up, it's coming, right? Of been the same for quite some time, maybe iterative improvement, but nothing that's pushed us this much forward or this much different, which is, which is exciting, right? Exciting. And then can be cumbersome, right? Oh, I wish you were there. Guinea pig, right? But you want to be guinea pig and that's okay. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think the other thing to call out to people who are listening, who may not have been engaged with FMS's freelance management systems before is recognizing that they were really built and kind of how they started to get their their usage is manager first, not corporate first. Small, medium businesses, individual users first. And you feel that. And that's again, Jess, when you talk about, it really feels personal, warm about the workers because it is, right? It wasn't built to do this massive enterprise organizational structure yet. I think it's getting there, but in, in a good way. It really was meant to make individual transactions very easy and very clear and things that we can do on our phone, which is what to me, which is exciting. Like that's the way technology needs to be. It needs to be a push of a button manager. You're going to have to push that one button, but isn't that fantastic that you don't have to do 97 different buttons, right? But it's, it's going to take a while for them to kind of catch up with the enterprise structures and compliance and expectations of time. And again, I think breaking its mold. So I like it because the voice of the freelancer is actually more heard. You're gonna hear 
if your program's not doing well by a decrease in X amount of freelancers who say, no, I don't want that project anymore. You're gonna know immediately, is my program working for me or against me? And that's exciting. Yes, yes to all. <laughs> all right, so you're five weeks in. Tell me a little bit more about what this actually looks like. So what did you want? So you talked about planning and requirements. So like, here's what it is. What does it actually look like? And what are you looking for in, in 2021? Yeah. So, you know, five weeks in is, and it's never easy to launch a program in Q4, let alone, you know, right before the holidays, but you sometimes have to do what you have to do. And so I would say five weeks in and just kind of having these touch bases with my team, it's going pretty well. And I'm usually pretty critical of things. There are some things that, you know, we have to pick up and solve quickly, but I would say that, you know, as I touch base with a lot of our managers who were heavily using freelancers and continue to do so, you know, they're, they're not complaining to me about, well, why do I have to use a new tool or, you know, the, the payment process is confusing because none of it is, you know, we've thought through how to make this as easy as possible for both them and the freelancer, because the freelancer is the one's going to speak the volume, right? If the freelancer is not happy and they're not getting paid on time, or they don't like the system, they don't like submitting these invoices, that's going to resonate through the manager, which is going to come to me. So what I wanted versus what I actually got is pretty on par. As I mentioned, there are some, some foundational stuff, like most things with all vendors that you manage that come up that you're like, all right, we got to figure this out, but you do it with the team and you make sure that you hold your vendors accountable and you make sure you let them know that this is priority. And those are just critical vendor management components of my job. And then what are our target goals? So this is a really good question. I'm actually going to meet with our, our FMS probably next week to start outlining what does 2021 look like? And I, I would say that, you know, given that most of December is kind of a wash, we're all going to shut down. At least Airbnb is going to shut down in a couple of weeks for the rest of the year. You know, I would say that we still are in this early phase of implementation, which means I want to look back. I want to, I want to go through the design and I want to understand what did we nail? What do we continue need to continue to nail? Or what are the things that we missed and that we need to fix? Or just, are we going to write them off? And then, you know, we're not into stability phase whatsoever, I think in 2021, at least until probably a good year from now, you know, and I think a lot of it has to do with how the world is behaving right now, right? Airbnb's business is, as you guys know, in the, you know, tourism industry, hospitality industry, and that is not happening right now, or at a very, very, very minute level. And so we're going to follow that. We're going to follow that business and we're going to, we're going to do what we feel is right. And so if we feel like there's new opportunities that we can take on, whether it be a diversity and belonging initiative, whether it be, we want to look at building further APIs. Those are some, I think, goals that we can kind of start to establish. But again, I'm going to feel it out as to how the world is operating because our business is so dependent on that. If, if I was in another company that was not dependent on that, we would have totally different goals. But everything is designed around partnerships. So if I don't have partners in my IT team because, you know, we've been hit hard with coronavirus, then that's going to affect my goals. So that's kind of, I don't have clear outlined goals yet, which is probably not a great vendor manager component right now, but we're just kind of taking them one month at a time. But, you know, it is encouraging. You're right. You just went live. So it's okay not to have the immediate next steps, but I guess yeah. kind of from my experience now being on the other side, having clients who actually are thinking through their goals a lot of times we hear like we'll just make it better and you're like aha no or what did you do for your last client but having the idea of like what's important for this knowing it's go lives are always tough right and that we always didn't quite get to everything but having a team say based on what's going on in the world and my company here are really clear goals that you're now a new supplier can say okay I can deliver on this. It's clear and crisp enough that we can say, yeah, we got there. Or like you said, or we missed it versus, well, let's just see how it goes. Or we're kind of, we're, we're doing a little bit better, but it kind of stays in the fuzzy state. So I'm glad. And I, I want the other program owners to hear that is just having three to four crisp goals in a timeline. Is it Q1? Is it the full year or whatnot of here's what I'm, here's what I'm going after. And here's what I'm asking of you supplier. And again, from my side, suppliers are happy to say, fantastic. Now I know exactly what you're asking for and can I not, and can I deliver? And it makes the conversation so much easier. So keep going on that. And everyone listening, please keep doing it. All right, let's talk a, a little bit about adoption because you shared a really cool story about someone who was a huge champion of your program and that helped 
not just current managers understand what you guys are doing, but kind of give it company-wide publication. So can you share a little bit about, about adoption and kind of what was communicated? Yeah, sure. So um, our head of HR, she's our VP of what's called Global Employee Experience at Airbnb. It's called EX. A lot of things have the X. So we have ITX, EX. I think we're, I think those are maybe the only two teams that have X's actually. So in any case, her name is Beth Axelrod. And Beth is in general, just a very huge supportive of really anything under HR. So, you know, I'm familiar with working at larger entities where, you know, we were lucky if we got the director of my team to kind of send something, not, not to the whole company, but maybe like, you know, 20 people. And so when I came to Airbnb, that was a complete design shift. You know, as I mentioned, we care about all people. And so when we think about contingent workers, we care about how is this going to land for them? And how is this going to resonate with them, given our mission and our values? And freelancers were no, were, were no exclusion to that. And so, you know, Beth was very supportive. She kind of knew about this initiative back in January when I came back from that leave that we wanted to do this. And we thought we were going to be able to do it in six months, but as we all know, coronavirus hit. So when it came time to actually letting her know, this is going to happen. And, and we would love for you to help us make this happen by announcing it to our leadership team. She was, there's never a question of why would I do this? Or oh, that's not appropriate. Or, you know, this isn't a big enough company change. No, this was, this was something that, you know, yes, this is a, this is a huge initiative. And we're, we're putting, you know, a stake in the ground that says, this is how we're going to do things. And this is our intentions. And this is our principles. And we want people to understand that it's not all spend driven. It's not all, how can we cost, how can we get some cost savings? It's, how can we do what we want to do as a company with the right level of people, rightly classified, and you know, feeling like they're doing the greatest work as well of their life? So she was supportive. She announced it to our, our leadership team. And by doing so, you know, more things came out of that. So, you know, a lot of different people started to pop up and say, oh, 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 well, what about this for my business? And what about this? And so even though a majority of them were probably not freelance needs it's still good to talk about and really help them understand any education that we can do, especially for people in our role internally, one manager at a time is what makes the difference, right? You can't have a meeting and train people who are like 30 in a room and expect them to walk away remembering everything. It's that one manager at a time. And so, you know, that was, that was really awesome in getting that championship. Got a question from the audience, kind of going back to the VMS MSP world versus the FMS. So yeah. this question is, are the freelancers contracted via the VMS as well, or just using the FMS? They're just using the FMS. So they're not, they don't touch any of our additional systems, whether that's the VMS, they don't touch our HRIS, they're completely siloed into the FMS. So that's their system and source of record, source of truth. Got it. All right, but going, going back to a little bit of working with Beth Axelrod, again, it's been exciting to see, right, when I think about chief people officers, right? You don't see CHROs and you, you still do, but you start to see we're rivaling procurement for that CPO title, right? Where yeah. people are starting to wake up into something that you said throughout this entire chat, these people are people and they're talent and they're part of how we get work done. And so they should come underneath my umbrella. It should be part of something I'm able to, whether it's one bullet point or a five minute top, topic to the e-team to say, here's what's going on and here's how it's going to make our, our, our practice better, right? More cost efficient, better quality of talent or so. And so it's exciting to one and again, like encourage other CW program owners, tell them, let them know you're going live, right? Let them at least have the opportunity to say, yes, I want to share this at a large meeting or yes, this makes sense. Or how can I send an email? How can I kind of reward and give good, good excitement around what you guys have been doing. So I think that's fantastic. And I know you have a great relationship with Beth. And I think that's something when I think about contingent workforce owners, we should continue to strive for yeah. sitting at the table and making sure they understand that non-employee point of view. Yeah, absolutely. So we have about 10 minutes left. I do want to give kind of room for any last pieces of advice, anything that you would have done differently or things that you could share with other owners who are thinking about this, that from lessons learned. Yeah. I mean, there's lessons learned all throughout the last, I think, three years. I mean, I think in the last three years in reflection, when I thought about, you know, why did it take three years to get here? Well, Jessica, everything in the contingent world takes three years. Like That's the reality. <laughs> so while we in our minds are like, this needs to happen and it needs to happen like now, that's not reality. Right. And so taking your time 
is important because you're designing a program that's there to, to last and hopefully stay for quite some time. You know, as we think about progression and one day I'll pass this role off to somebody else, I don't want someone to take a position or pull up and say, God, I got to redo something, you know, in a year. So, you know, the lessons learned was take your time. And if you feel like you're being rushed, understand why and decide on what are the most critical things that have to happen. You know, I, part of going live with our current FMS, one thing that absolutely had to happen and I was never going to back down from was that our process had to be PO exempt, meaning no purchase orders. It had to have a direct relationship with our, our financials system. And there were some points along the way that like, we were like, well, this may not happen. And I'm like, well, then it's not happening. Like I'll back out. It's not happening. And so really land on what are the things that you're like, I will not back down from, um, especially in the FMS world, because it does get a little bit fuzzy sometimes. It's not so black and white with all the things they have, you know, try to, another point would be try to undo all the things you think, you know, or that you're going to bring along via, if you have this experience with a VMS and MSP, try to park that to the side and think about a new way of doing business. You can pull in some of those good goodness things. Like, you know, as we talked about single sign, I mean, technological things, contractual things, but and the, in the end-to-end business and the design, you need to kind of retrain your brain. So th- those would be kind of my big, big points of advice. Take it slow, make it right, and then kind of just park the MSP, VMS world to the left or the right, whichever way. No, I love that. And I was going to let you go, but when your point of voice got something in my head, so I'm going to I'm gonna dig into one of the things that you just said. Okay. Talked about, again, holding your gun and saying, nope, this needs to be PO exempt. Tell me a little bit more why, why that was so important for this project. Well, it was important for a number of reasons. One is that we had our incumbent, which had been with us for a number of years, was not PO exempt. And if you can imagine how many freelancers, and I'm not going to say how many, but it's over a thousand, okay? Over a thousand and under 10. Having bulk purchase orders for that many freelancers is like your worst nightmare, okay? It's hard enough getting a PO open to pay like, a vendor for like 2000 bucks. So you can't imagine these managers. They were, I mean, years of pent up rage. So I remember when I walked in, first person I met, his name was Hoon, he was great. He's like, we gotta get rid of the POs. I can't deal with it anymore. And I was like, I don't, what, what are we gonna do? Like, and of course the, the one goodness that we have is that our MSP VMS is a PO exempt process. So we have something to learn from. Well, how do they do it? And why can't we do it? And so it was, it was kind of a no brainer. And it's actually something I think most companies that Airbnb is working with is like, you know, who are on a, a, an outsourced regular invoicing type of relationship. It's like, no, we don't want to work with you on a PO process. We've got a flat file. You can build your information into this flat file. We will upload it into our systems. Bada bing, bada boom. There you go. Right. So it, it was kind of, like I said, it was a no brainer for me. It was a little bit when I said PO exempt to our FMS, they heard one thing. And I was thinking another, and that's why when I mentioned that we kind of got tripped up and I was like, well, then it's not going to happen because they were thinking one thing. And I was like, but you still need POs in that process. They're like, oh yeah, but you don't have to open. No, 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 no POs. Like I don't want to hear a purchase order ever again. So that was ultimately Erica. I was very passionate about it, as you can tell. I was like, it's my reputation. Like I'm not going to have that. No. And so, yeah, so we did it. And our first, our first invoice goes through, I think today. So let's just pray that this is actually, I mean, we're expecting some bumps, you know, it's going to happen in month one, but the, that's the journey. That's the journey. But no, I mean, that, I think that's so spot on. Cause when you think about <laughs> managers, let's pretend of your thousand example, mm-hmm. and it's all for photographers, probably it's a handful of managers who are responsible for that. So can you imagine having to open and submit, I'm going to make this up 447 POs of $200 above continuously. Yeah. So you put it in those terms. It's like, of course not. That's it's a no brainer. And you just need to get the finance team to say, you're not, you're no longer just a stakeholder in this. I'm asking you to change your practice. I'm asking you to make this an ex- exemption that takes a little bit more work. I recognize, but here's the goodness that comes from our, our workers and for them, that's actually easier for them when you do it in this way. But like, mm-hmm. like it takes someone passionate to hold, hold firm versus yeah. going back to status quo. So good for you. Well, fi- finance, if you're referencing our internal finance, like finance was like, yeah, I literally got, I literally got class. I was like, 
okay, we're in business. They, they were like, let's do this. When are we doing this? Right. Everybody would ask me over the period of the summer, when are we doing this? And I'm like, okay, chill. It's going to happen. Um, so now it's here. It's kind of like, you know, I've told many people, like we started this in January. We, it's happened in October. I had a baby. Like it was like a 10 month. It was, it was like growing as having a baby. And now I don't have to take care of the baby as closely, but now I, you know, you still have to monitor, right. And you still have to be involved, but that's the easiest acronym I can choose here for this. Yeah. So yeah, that's the reason why you exempt. have a question from Chris in the audience. So Chris asks, so it looks like you have four buckets of workers, staff, contingent workers with access, freelancers and services in four different systems. How do you keep track across the buckets? So Chris, we have, so you're right in the sense we have four contingent types. So we have contractors or or temps or agency temps, however you call. We have independent consultants. We have freelancers and we have vendors. All three except for freelancers are in our HRIS. Our freelancers are not in our HRIS because many HRIS systems and maybe they've changed this in the last few years and I just don't know, but once you get into their HRES, a lot of things happen and they get access subsequently through to like, you know, various APIs or things that are turned on. And we didn't want to put them into, A, we didn't want to put them into our HRES freelancers because of that. And B, our freelancers are working on 10 a.m. on a Tuesday and stop working at Wednesday at 1 p.m. So there's so much in and out. There's so much in and out. We could not manage that in our HRES to get them in and get them out, bring them in, bring them out. So we keep our three temp consultants and vendors in our HRES and our freelancers in our FMS. And it's better, granted, it's not all in one tool, which would be much easier, but it's better than what we had before, which is we had nothing with our freelancers. So I would rather have something and have separate data to share comparison to everything else versus no data. And that's kind of how I rationalize it. So hopefully that was helpful. Beautiful. All right. We're at time. Donsky, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing with us. We got to do this again. Saad, do you want to take us away? Yeah. Thank you all for joining. This has been a live episode of Contingent Workforce Radio. I'm dropping the link in the chat. You can click the chat down here and find more episodes. Uh, We recently published a few episodes with Erica on how to get started with your Contingent Workforce program. If you're leading a first-gen program, thinking about those initial projects to get started, what are those initial projects to really kick off to begin mapping out and beginning your contingent workforce journey? So that's in that link that I just dropped. But Contingent Workforce Radio, it's brought to you by Utmost. Utmost is a workday native alternative to legacy vendor management systems, ability to source, engage, and optimize spend designed exclusively for workday users. But for now, this is going to be the last chat we have with Contingent Workforce Program Leads for 2021, and we will be back next year. So thank you all for joining and have a great holiday season. Thanks, guys.